This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Three things before we uh, get started. One is that after this service, there will be an opportunity for you to uh, have a meal if you'd like. We're going to have a we have our, our semi-annual congregational meeting tonight at 6:30, and we realize that if you're part of this service, that's not going to work real well unless you. I, I mean, what do you you know? We got to feed you. So um, there's food right now being prepared in the gym for for all of you, and then for uh, all the folks that came earlier today. And we have a, a meeting that will start around 6.30 and be over by 7.30. We do this uh, twice a year, basically. It's, it's part of our stewardship and life together. So consider. And um, let's see. Uh, secondly, there's going to be, we move this cross. It's normally over here to the back corner there. You'll notice there's always been a cross back there. And... Um, what I've done earlier in the day is invited people to come after the message in our response time to the cross, and I'll explain that later, but I'm, I'm just giving you a little heads up right now that that's the place uh, to, it's a symbol of, of Christ and coming to him and uh, drawing near to him, and, and he has what we need. So uh, I'll, I'll give you that a little bit more clearly later on. The third thing I want to say is very simple, and that is congratulations to all of you and I include myself, we have, together, almost made it through January. <laughs> I say that every year. Yeah, give yourself a hand. Come on. And uh, what is the average temperature this month? I mean, 2.7. Is that positive or negative? Or does it matter? Anyway, it's been really cold. And uh, we are going to Hawaii, Patty and I, leaving uh, a, a week from tonight or so. And I don't think I'm going to see Auntie Tutu, but I'll say hi to her for everybody. And uh, anyway, we're looking forward to that. Okay, there's a Hebrew word. Um, it's pronounced something like Azar, and it is found in Genesis chapter 2, and it gets translated, at least in the old translations, as helpmate. And what I find is that when modern women, I have taken my little poll on this, when they hear helpmate, they're not exactly thrilled with the implications of being a helpmate. So I want to, I want to resurrect 
that word. And, and say that Izar, it, what it, it, it refers in the Old Testament most often to God himself. And helpmate is not quite uh, the best translation. It means someone who saves. Uh, it means someone who rescues. It means somebody who is strong in their actions for others. And so let me give you an example from uh, the Alaska News uh, this last week. There in Willow, Alaska, of all places, there was a helpmate, an azar, a woman who came to the rescue of her husband as her husband was accosted by a moose. Now, maybe you've heard about this. It was on the national news on every network, I think. I looked it up. And this 85-year-old woman named Dorothy, who weighs 97 pounds, grabbed a shovel and she fought off a moose that was attacking her husband. Now, that is what I call a helpmate, <laughs> a savior, a rescuer, somebody who's there when you really need them. So the idea that this is uh, just somebody who irons your shirts and does your laundry and does the dishes is, is not quite right, which I'm sure uh, at least half of the people in the room will be glad to hear. I want you to hear what Dorothy had. or the conver- This was out of the article in the Anchorage Daily News. And. And so it says, uh, just as Dorothy didn't know her husband was under attack, she actually didn't know. She knew that he had taken her, the, the dogs for a walk, and she thought the moose was attacking a dog. Turns out she, the moose was attacking her husband, and it's dark and snowy and, you know, willow. Okay. And so he didn't know, uh, just as she didn't know she, her husband was under attack, he didn't know that it was his wife who was fighting off the moose. Now, uh, now that he's heard the story, now, you know, it's all in the news, He's sure it would have killed him. Then Moose would have killed him without her quick action. Her effort was amazing, he said. So that was a pretty hard thing for anyone to do, to walk up on a moose like that. Heck, all she had was a shovel. Sounds like an Alaskan. And then she says, I love this line. This is the last line of the story. She says, well, we've helped each other out of a lot of problems before. This just happened to be the latest. (laughs) Now, that's a helpmate. Um, I love that. Okay, so we got helpmate, not, not the best translation. There's another phrase from our culture called soulmate. And uh, if you've, at least, I don't love that phrase. I don't think it's very helpful, although uh, it does have a, maybe a, a usage. We'll try to clarify that as we go along tonight. But it gets used, if you watched um, uh, movies in our culture, uh, it, it's, the idea is that you'll, if you keep your eyes open, if you're a single person and you're looking, and on an airplane or a train or someplace, you're going to meet this one person. And they're the only person on, out of six billion on the planet that is for you. And there's this romanticized version of all of this where in the Bible, the, the emphasis is on meeting the right kind of person, on the character of the person, not on this uh, sort of romantic one of a kind that is only for you, like her DNA and your DNA match up somehow. And you've got to find that person. It, it, it leads to a lot of immaturity. And it also leads to a, uh, the idea that uh, I'm going to be completed by this person, but which is not totally, that, that, that is part of the biblical story that Adam and Eve completed each other. But the idea is usually they're going to complete me, not I'm going to complete them. And so instead of thinking of it in a way of giving, it is a way of getting, which is, is very, you know, if you've been married more than 10 minutes, you know that it's, got to be about giving and not getting. If you, if you go into marriage for what you're going to get, did I say 10 minutes? Maybe five minutes, okay? It, it doesn't work that way. And so uh, I'm not a big fan of that soulmate language, which you don't find in the Bible. But what you do find is a Greek word, uh, philio, um, phileo, 
And we're going to talk about that word tonight. It means friendship. And so Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. You guys are yeah on that. So um, Philly is the root of that. And that the what the what the Bible seems to be saying is that if for those of us who choose to get married, uh, it is your spouse is to be your best friend. Let's just put it like that. That's the intention of God is that your spouse be your best friend. You're going to be, you know, that's a lot of years together and to go deep, very, very deep in a bond together is the intention of God. Now, single people also are very much uh, um, in need of friends, and this, everything I'm going to say tonight has application to single people. Uh, when you think of, we have had two close friends, single friends, who ended up getting married in their 40s, not to each other, but one was a guy, one was a girl, and two others, and so we've watched these two relationships, and we've, we've rejoiced in them, and they are very happily married, it seems. And um, what we noticed is that before they were married, they had developed strong friendships as just part of life. So the, and, and they were also people, and I'm, I'm assuming that most people, if you're single, uh, you're in this category as they were that, you know, hey, we're, I'm single. They both said this, I'm single, but it's not like I'm committed permanently to this state. Called, and I don't always want to check that box, maybe. I'm open. God, you know, if you got somebody, I'm ready. But... I'm okay for now. I'm not struggling with it. And uh, I know that that is a good attitude, I think. And I think most single people are, are in that. I know there's there are some rare people who are fully committed, as were Jesus and Paul in the scriptures to the single life. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, the advantages and the calling of the single life. But we're going to be talking about friendship tonight. I'm going to put it mostly into the context of marriage and then I'll try to bring it out of that to make it uh, more real to the single person as well. Uh, a couple of points here before we get into the friendship thing. And um, I want I'm, remember, I'm trying to give a vision for marriage. I'm not trying to deal with our marriage problems. I know we've all got them, right? We've got problems that come up from, they bubble up. And But what I'm trying to do is give you a vision for what God intended for marriage thinking that that's what we need more than anything else. What are his intentions for us? And then we can work backwards um, from that. So the, the, the verse that we've underlined every, every time this has been read, now this passage, and we'll read it again next week, is verse 31. It's the substructure that holds all of Paul's argument together. From Genesis 24, it goes back into the Old Testament, um, for this reason, a man will leave his wife and cleave, or leave his wife. Don't forget I said that. Let's start over. <laughs> for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? The two shall become one flesh. And the word flesh there doesn't mean this stuff here. It means something greater than physical. It means uh, there's a oneness. In fact, I like to think of when you when you begin a marriage, it's like you're going to a lawyer and setting up a corporation. There's a new entity here. It's legal. It has an identity. It has a name. Now you are not just Bill Starr. You're the stars. Yeah, sorry. But, but you are you. There's a new community that's been established you are there's a culture that's going to be established in your home when people walk into your home they're going to they're going to know this is this kind of place you have a mission statement as a couple whether you write it down or not and i would suggest you do but that's you've got 
an identity and a mission. And, and there's, there's something new here. There's something that is greater than the sum of the parts that's been established. And you are one physically. Yeah, sure. But also emotionally, spiritually, financially, legally. In every way, you are one. And, and uh, there's a mystery that happens here. Paul uh, says that when he gets the two shall be coming one. And then he says there's a mystery, but I'm referring to Christ in the church. And sure, that's what he's referring to. Christ in the church is the parallel to the man and the wife here. But that reflects back on us. There's a mystery, too, in the two becoming one. And you can't what it, what it means is you can't see everything that is going on in that relationship. It is it is not it is way more than the sum of the parts. Uh, so we start there. And then there's a bold, and I want to make this statement boldly, uh, there's a priority in the marriage. This is going to sound, I, it's going to sound crazy to ears that have been attuned to the, the modern context, but there is no, clearly there is no, if you choose to get married, there is not in God's intention any other relationship that comes even close in terms of priority in your life. When you say, I do, you're saying, this is the one that I am going to be most intensely related to permanently, exclusively. And it, there's th- I'm going to give you three challenges to that that all of us have to wrestle with. One is that we put our children first above that priority with the spouse. That is not what God said. He did not make Adam in the garden and then out of his flesh and bones make a child and say the two are to become one. No, it's this other person that you're not related to. And, you know, that creates all kinds of issues. It's two different families that come together, two very different people who had different families that come together. So it's not about children. And if you put children before your spouse, you will ruin your children. That is the best, let me put it yet positively, the best thing you can do to love your children is to love your spouse more than them. They need that modeling. They need to know that that's the picture that God created or he painted for us to walk into. So it's part of your discipleship. Say that clearly. Secondly, and it's obvious in the text, is that you leave your mother and father you, and then you cleave to your wife. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you, honor, you still honor your mother and father. That's the, what's fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. You still honor them, but you leave them and you, Cut those strings of the apron or whatever. Now, I got to tell a story. When I when we first got married, Patty and I, I, I made a comment probably more than once. Unfortunately for my wife, my mom was not only was she a good cook, but that was like her favorite thing to do. So I made I compared I did some comparison thing. Oh, bad move. Really bad. I could say, you know, I could just tell that I really hurt her. When you and what does it say when you hurt your spouse? Who do you hurt? You hurt yourself. Unfortunate she didn't poison me. You know, I mean that's it. I mean, I was, I mean I, you know, so I repented of all of that. And and I, by the way, she is a great cook, and and she 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 really is. Plus, I want to eat tonight. How's that? But but she really is, and um, I, I'm so sorry for doing that. But I brought that into our home. You can also, if you, it, let's just say you have great distaste for your parents and you think, I'm never going to be like them. You bring that with you. You can't leave your parents until you get rid of, 
And you forgive your parents. You can't leave. They're with you. They haunt you. You say, I hate, I hate what my dad was like. And you bring that into your marriage and you say, I'm never going to be like that. And you don't have the normal interaction where you negotiate with your spouse how you're going to be. Your parents are still there with you, even though you hate them. So you've got you to gotta really leave and cleave and still honor your parents. The third area where we have issues is with work or career, where we throw ourselves into our work and career. And that becomes a greater priority than our spouse. These all, all three of these challenges. So there's a scenario out there where this is what I've seen, and it's not the only scenario, but it's common enough to bear mentioning. That is that a, a couple gets married and they have a couple of great years together and they're, they're pretty sweet with each other. And then they have children, which complicates life. We complicated lives for our parents, those of us who are... And, and it's, it's the way it works. It just, it's a lot. Of, and so the, the mom, be, her life becomes wrapped around her children. And, and the dad maybe doesn't, you know, click there as much. So he wraps himself around his work. And you're cooking up a recipe for an 18-year marriage that ends, or a 20-year marriage that will end, because it's been hollowed out. There's no friendship. This is where we need to go, is, is there, there uh, an intimacy and a friendship. And um, let's go to where we were last week. Um, I'm going to give you these three Greek words for love. This first one is eros. And, of course, this, this is celebrated greatly in our culture. It's also biblical. It just needs a context. It has to do with romance. And romance, without these other two kinds of love that we're going to talk about, will, um, it will not be good for you. You will be hurt. Ultimately, you will be hurt. But this is found in the, in the Bible most intensely in the, in the Song of Solomon. You'll also find it in many other places. Um, it's a feeling love. And then we talked about how you can't commit at, in, a, in a wedding you, in a ceremony, you can't commit to how you're going to feel in the future. It's impossible. It's kind of stupid, really, to think about it. How, I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. So you, what you commit to, it, rather, it's a covenant that you make. You commit to action. That there's loving. And so we have these kinds of um, things up there. Patient, not proud, no, no scorekeeping. These are actions. Maybe actions of the heart or actions of, with our body or mind. And that's what we're committing to. That's what it means to love biblically. That is the number one word for love in the New Testament. Um, and the number two word is phileo, which we're going to get to here in just a second. I want to I say uh, uh, one thing that is... Um, I should put that up there before I go there. So you get what we said last week is the key is context, so that eros is in the midst of, of uh, agape love, a committed love. And then you feel safe being naked, uh, naked in every way before another person. Okay, now here's, here's one of the things that I see with uh, people who really like that Greek word agape. And it is a great word. It really is it, uh, the, the word for love that God has for us. It's, it's a huge word. But sometimes people will say conservative Christians, especially there's that there's they, they may not have a whole lot of love, feeling love in their marriage, but they're not going to get a divorce. Because why? Why would why would conservative Christians not want to get a divorce? They don't love each other you know, in terms of feeling. But why, why wouldn't they? Because it's a sin. It's wrong. Right. Come on. You know the answer. That's the. That's the, the Sunday school answer. It's wrong. It's a sin. And they have oftentimes this idea that there's a hierarchy of sins. And right near the top of that hierarchy is the sin of divorce. And so they're committed out of 
just gritting it out. They're committed to be together. And what you have is not a marriage as much as a non-divorce. Now, are we supposed to celebrate that? At a 40-year anniversary, when they're there and they're, they're both lying to each other and they know that they haven't had a great marriage. And, I mean, I'm just saying there's got to be more. I'm not saying divorce is good. It is a sin, but it's not any bigger than any of the other sins. That's, the consequences are bigger because it affects, the ripple effects go all over the place. But it is not, you know, just get that clear. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is, covers all of that stuff. So... Um, we need a diff- another kind of love. We need to know that there's something not just sexual or romantic, that, that it's not just a commitment type of love, but there is actually another relational love. And this is where the word phileo comes in. So um, there's some words up there. Loved one, friend, favorite, affection, close and personal. Uh, however you want to say it. This is, that apply, it applies to single life or to married people. And you can choose your one up there. I... One of the things I love to tell Patty, and, and this, this, this really is a good thing to say. I'm, if, if, I'm just suggesting, guys, if you need something to write on a Valentine, a Valentine card in a few weeks here, you might think about this word favorite. But I've told Pat, Patty, you are my favorite person on planet Earth. Now, how does that feel when you hear that? When somebody says that to you, it goes deep. And, and so, uh, and I mean that. I'm not making that up. I wasn't... Uh, wasn't trying to get anything, you know. Uh, just she is my favorite person, and we have uh, grown in our our appreciation and our our uh, friendship for each other over the years. So um, we live in a culture, though, that doesn't necessarily value the phileo love the way it values the eros love. And so, if you go to if if you go to the grocery store and you look at whatever People magazine on the front, it's, they're not talking about who's friends. You know, Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks are friends. That's not news. <laughs> what are they, you're talking about who's sleeping with who, right? So there's the glossy magazines and all of the rest. The friendship is not, it, it's pretty, you know, mundane stuff. But over the long haul, it is so critical for our own health. You know, people with friends live longer, for example. And uh, if you have your spouse as a friend, you're going you're gonna to have a, a, a healthier life. So um, C.S. Lewis gives us, I think, a good picture of friendship. He says that it's like when you're, you're, you're with someone and you don't really know anything about that person, but suddenly something comes into view and you notice that they resonate with it too. And you say to them, you too, what? I thought I was the only one. So it could be the Green Bay Packers or the, you know, Whatever. For me, it's fly fishing. Man, when I find another, you know, guy, usually it's a guy. But anyway, I, they like to fly fish. Now I want to know what flies they're using, where they go, and all the little nuances of all of that. So you know, you, your heart just kind of leaps when you find somebody that likes to do what you like to do. It might be knitting. I don't know. Could be any. I'm trying to think of other examples here that. My, my wife, when she sits on an airplane and somebody is knitting, I mean, you should see the conversation that just bursts forth. I don't get it. But, but, um, but it's that, you know, you too, we have this thing in common. And when you take that into a marriage situation and, and you realize your hearts are close. and Okay, opposites attract, right? Yeah, but opposites clash. Did you ever notice? We, we are attracted to people who are different, to, and, and that's, that's 
man, if you don't have anything in common and you get married, you're going to be it's going to be a tough go. You want to have stuff in common. So think about that. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about the deadliest catch and how to avoid it. But it's really important to have. Yeah. How to have things in common. So, man, talk to people who've been married a long time and they'll tell you we have a lot in common. You know, we like we like the same kind of pancakes at the same time on Saturday morning. It's boring stuff, folks. But, man, we have stuff in common. So um, let's get into this text briefly here. And um, I want to we want to finish the service just a little earlier tonight. So we have time for the uh, the meal and, and what's after that. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29 um, is just a, a few things that come out of here. And one of these is just so critical. And I'm going to start with that. In terms of having a healthy marriage, it starts out and it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So it's it's addressing husbands and how to uh, treat their wives. But I want to expand that into so it's it's either way with our, with with spouses. He's the parallel here is Christ in the church, which is, you know, it's all of us. So it's both cross genders. And you'll see um, as we go through here that I really do believe, you'll see why I believe that it's, it's not just for husbands to love their wives, but also for wives to love their husbands. But he says, as he fills in the blanks on that, he says, the reason that you are to do that is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So Christ, uh, and I know that, you know, yet we believe by faith. He's, he's looking at the church. He's acting with the church. He's making us holy by the washing with the word. The word meaning the truth and uh, that he, he has in something in mind for us that is greater than where we are right now. And here it is. He says to present her as Christ is going to present the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or blemish or any other or without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, I want you to take that parallel, which God, which Paul is using for Christ in the church and just apply it. Because he's talking, ultimately here, he's talking about the husband and wife. And we're going to go to the wife and the husband, too. What does it mean, this is the question, what does it mean for me to have a vision, the way, the way Christ has a vision for the church, meaning God's people, and I'm part of that, how, what does it mean for me to have that kind of vision for my wife? What does it mean for you to have that vision for your spouse? So that you would see your spouse as radiant and holy. Do you see her that way now? Can you see her? Can you see him as radiant and holy? Or are you just, oh, you wouldn't believe what I, you know, the guy I married or the girl. I mean, can you see the glimpse of glory that God has intended for your spouse? Do you see the uh, uh, flash of brilliance? Do you, do you have a, a, a concept of what your husband or wife will look like when they are fully redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question right there. I, I, want, I want that. I believe that when you have that in a marriage, you will have a very deep friendship. You will have a very deep, intimate relationship. You will love your spouse in the deepest of ways because you want the best for her. You want exactly the same thing for her that God does. Every once in a while when you look out that direction, you can see the top of Denali and you may only see it for 10 minutes it doesn't last you know forever but it's getting that view that glimpse of what is fully majestic in your spouse and then praying for it believing in it being part of 
on the team for your spouse, with your spouse, not against. So um, Philippians 1.6 says, uh, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, which is Christ, will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you believe that for your spouse? Can you believe it for yourself? And anyone who says, oh, you just don't know my spouse, they'll never change. You are speaking against the word of God. The Holy God. You know, people said that. I, I remember. Before I became a Christian, people said that about me. When I was in my 20s. Will never change. I mean, what a, what a faithless, below the belt kind of statement that you can make towards somebody. And it, not only are you showing no faith in that person, you're showing no faith in the living God who can take the man who wrote this letter, who was murdering Christians all over the place, and yet he becomes the lover of the church, the Apostle Paul. God can do the impossible. Believe for your spouse the best for them. It will change your marriage. It will change your life. How does that look? Paul says it, a couple things. One, it's the wa- this washing with the water. So imagine yourself washing your spouse with water. Yeah, they're dirty. They're not, they're not fully you know, formed. Washing them with water. When you get married, it, the, the, the imagery of everything in your life becomes you know, known to your spouse. and Not just with your body, but with all of your defects. They become known, just as they are to Christ. And he washes us with water because he has a radiant picture of us. And for a spouse to do that, it's a beautiful thing. My, I'm so glad my wife is the one who can tell me things. And she can say them in a gentle voice that I need to hear. Mark, your fly is down, for example. Okay, <laughs> or you have some mustard right here. Oh, and then she gets her little Kleenex out and does this little spit thing, you know. And, 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 but all the versions of that, that that come into my life that, uh, I mean, I need to hear. And she does it in a way that doesn't attack me. It doesn't, she doesn't nag me. And because she has this vision for who I am or who I can be in Christ, who I'm becoming. And Paul says also that we are to, um, he says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Verse 29. So not only does Christ wash us and we, our spouses, but we feed and care for. We nourish. We say words that bring grace to our spouses. Uh, Remember that you have somehow you have the ability if you're married, you have the ability to reprogram your spouse's self image. And you say, well, I thought only Jesus could do that. And yeah, that's true. He's the main one. But he gives you that responsibility as well. Your voice is so strong in terms of how your spouse perceives herself or himself. That's why the, the word respect is so important here. I mean, men love we just love to be respected by our wives. So if you've grown up and everyone says you're stupid or everyone says you're ugly, but your spouse says you're beautiful and you're brilliant, I mean, you're, that, you, that has weight. That opinion, all the verdicts that have been placed upon you throughout your life that have formed your self-image can be reprogrammed by a spouse who sees the radiant and holy you as Jesus does and they live into it and they nourish and they care for you. This is beautiful stuff, folks. I hope you see this. I hope you can believe it. It will change your view of marriage, of your spouse. This is what God has for us in Christ Jesus. Well, um, you can also see, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, but you can see how this relates back to your your, uh, romance life. When you have that kind of view of your spouse, it does a little bit for the 
that part as well. It, there, there's this greater bonding that goes much deeper. Now, let, let's just close with Christ. And I want you to think in terms of those crosses in the back. And if you if you would, would like to come back there for prayer. But remember, um, John 15, 15 is up on the screen there. Phileo love. That's the Greek word that's used there. And Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you what? It's friends. Very powerful. Don't miss that. I no longer call. This is, this is during that intimate time when Jesus is with his friends the night before he is crucified. And he wants to say some very deep things to his most intimate friends. And he says, I've called you servants, but now I call you friends. It's a very... Um, Um, it's worth considering what that means. As you go to the cross or as you just sit where you are and think about the cross and think about Jesus, you may want to pray for that friendship to become something real. Perhaps you haven't considered that before. He is longing to have you as a friend. He wants to go deep with you. He wants to wash you with the word. He wants to feed and nourish you. And um, maybe, so that's, that's a prayer. You could ask him just to deepen that friendship if, if you already have it. You could go there with your spouse and, and look upon the cross together, and it can be that sort of thing that you share together. We talked about earlier. That's what a friend is. They look at something, and they say, that's what we have in common, and there's a thing that goes deep. You can appreciate everything that Jesus wants to do for you as a couple. Um, if your spouse isn't here or your spouse isn't in the same place as you are, you can go and pray for them. But just consider the, the responses that you have in this time that uh, we close out with here. Can I lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who desires friendship with us and um, that he is, in fact, the friend of sinners. And, and how, what good news that is for us. And thank you, Lord, for the vision that you give us for marriage, for the single life, for deeper friendships. Um, God, heal us, we pray. Heal us in every way. Heal marriages. Heal our hearts that are hurting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.